This is Dies and X, the podcast, episode 272, for the week of September 25th, 2011. Hey there, folks, and welcome to Dies and X, the podcast. This here shows an extension of the all encompassing Dragon Ball fan site, Dies and X. We cover anything and everything Dragon Ball in hopes of enlightening and a little bit of the entertaining. My name is Mike and I tend to go by Vegito EX. I'm the dude that founded that site and here I am. I'm introducing the show all by myself this week. I actually got a little bit different of a show for you, but really it's not all that different at all. We've got an amazing topic for you, which I'm going to introduce in just a second. Other than that though, it's been a pretty slow week. There have been a couple new trickles about Ultimate Blast, which is the upcoming fighting game for the PS3 and 360 that's due out next month, but really it's just minor stuff and we'll cover it when we cover the game when it comes out. So our topic itself is so in-depth that I ended up deciding to just leave it up to that segment to speak for itself and give it the whole damn show all to its own. Joining me in that topic in just a second is our buddy Jake, Mr. Herms from Konzentai, www.konzentai.com. Him and I are going to break down the entire history of the Saiyan race from their somewhat undetermined beginnings to what we know for sure, or do we, was their bitter end. The focus here was on the race itself, how it got going, where it possibly came from, where they went, how they met that end. We talked a little bit about the legend of the Super Saiyan, but we only talked about it as it related to the history of the race. The legend itself could and very well, maybe, possibly in the future, end up as its own topic. So you can look forward to that. I know people have been asking, hey, you got to do a Broly episode tied in with the legend of the Super Saiyan. It's been our radar for a while. Maybe we'll get to it, but right now we're talking about the race, the history. So like I said, I'm going to shut up right here and let the topic speak for itself. Enjoy it, and I'll hit you back to wrap things up after uh, the topic. As somewhat hinted at and somewhat promised last week on the show, joining me to talk about the entirety, the history, the legends of the Saiyan race, Jake, Mr. Herms from Konzentai, welcome back to the show sir. Hello. It's good to be back. I'm glad to have you here because you have basically already done all of the work for me, which makes you my favorite co-host. Yay. Of course, I did it so long ago that I think I've forgotten it, but we'll see how this goes. <laughs> well, good. Maybe uh, my reviewing the material will make me the expert on the matter then. I'm, I'm all for that. Yeah, something about fruits and vegetables or something. I don't know. Absolutely. Lots of fruits and vegetables to talk about. Man, what we're going to do, you broke it down a while ago, forum thread. I think it was actually in response, sort of, kind of, to an email on the podcast. Someone had asked if um, what kind of additional stories we wanted, whether it's from Toriyama, I can't remember. And Mary and I were talking about, oh, we'd like to see some more stuff in the past, maybe around the science and Frieza and everything that was going on there. And I think you had a somewhat legitimate response. Yeah, which is basically that we've already got probably more history than we need, or at least more history than currently can cohesively coexist you could say <laughs> and true. now and since uh, you and mary said that you've kind of got your wish granted yeah i suppose so resulting in more confusion than ever yeah the last couple of years i mean we've had a, a quasi retread with plan to eradicate the super science but just over the last few months we've had episode of bardock and that was not in your uh gigantic outline so we're kind of adding that on to the end there i don't know how much we'll have to talk about maybe a little bit 
it. But what we'll do is kind of cruise through all of the different sources. We'll start with the manga. What is said about their history in the manga from different characters? Of course, it's going to start with Raditz and go pretty much into Frieza, and that's about it. Then we'll turn it over to uh, the TV adaptation, but also some other things that tie into the TV adaptation. I don't want to spoil that just yet. And then we'll talk about Plan to Eradicate the Science a little bit. We'll talk about things that are said in guidebooks. Uh, we'll talk about Dragon Ball GT, believe it or not. Uh, then associated with GTR, the Perfect Files, which are their own guidebooks, but we'll break those out separately from, for example, the Daizenshu. We've got a tiny little tidbit from the super exciting guides, and then to wrap it all up, we have episode of Bardock. So Jake, I think what we'll do is just start naturally at the beginning, chapter 197, Goku, you're an alien. Yep. So do you want me to just read this whole quote from Raditz here? Well, you know what? I'll, I'll read the quote and I'll let you dissect it because you've got some uh, good points in there. Does that make sense? Sure. Okay. I'll pretend I'm Shigeru Chiba and I have this amazing <laughs> voice. First, you are not one of this planet's humans. You were born on planet Vegeta and are part of the strongest warrior race in the entire universe, the Saiyans. We Saiyans are a fighting race. Our job is to search for planets with good and environments, and once we wipe out those who live there, we sell it at a high price to aliens who are looking for a suitable planet. Adult warriors go off to planets where guys with high battle powers live, but for low-level planets like this one, babies like you are sent. The Saiyans were a scarce race, even from the start, but to top it off, Planet Vegeta exploded from a collision with a gigantic meteorite. Almost all of the Saiyans vanished into space dust, including our father and mother. Even counting you, only four Saiyans remained. Me and one other one were off attacking another planet, and so were saved. And the other one was fortunate enough to have been sent off to a planet like you were. Lots of information in here, and this is all new information, so as it's just being stated, we kind of have to take it all at face value. Exactly. Even though we later learned that there are some things in here that aren't necessarily true, although at this time Toriyama thought they were true, I guess you could say. He's not like Oda, where here do things like, well, our have this cover story, and then here have the real story planned in advance. Right, right. I guess the first thing to note should be that we hear the name Planet Vegeta before we're introduced to the character of that name. Yes. So it's kind of like Frieza later on, actually, where we get Planet Frieza number 79 before mm. we actually meet Frieza himself. So it's an interesting bit of foreshadowing there. And so the biggest thing, of course, that conflicts with later information is that Raditz says that Planet Vegeta was wiped out by a meteorite. And so later, of course, we learn that actually Frieza blew it up. And I think it's uh, Team Four Star where they have our planet, which may or may not have been hit by a meteorite or something like that. Right, right. Well, I guess at this point, ignoring the TV adaptation, because that's going to throw a wrench into the mix here, you could say, well, this was a cover story and it doesn't really contradict it if you kind of buy into that. I mean, that is, that's the official explanation. Yeah, it is. What, when they do get to the actual part of the story where Dodorio explains, he says, right. the planet wasn't actually hit by a meteorite, but like Frieza says, and then that they kind of imply the whole cover story idea. And then Daizenshu 7 is very explicit where it has an entry on this saying that this was just the thing Frieza told this remaining science so they wouldn't rebel. Right. So even though it's wrong, it's still right in a way because they do go with it. Yeah. I mean, it's Toriyama writing by the seat of his pants, but he pulls it off pretty well. Yeah, yeah, I'd say. 
And the next thing that doesn't quite fit in is the descriptions Raditz gives of the remaining two Saiyans besides him and Goku. And he says that Raditz says that he and another of the two Saiyans, they were off attacking some planet, and that's why they're alive. And then the remaining one was, quote, sent off to a planet like Goku was, and that's why he's alive. And this kind of doesn't fit with what we later learn about Vegeta or Nappa. Now, I, I have a question about this, because we do see in the Bardock TV special, I, I guess that's where we're heading, Vegeta, who's a child at this point, he's off on some planet, he's destroyed whatever race is there, he looks like he's eating them, and he's communicating to Nappa via his scouter. To me, that's always implied that Nappa wasn't necessarily there with him. I guess maybe he could be on a different part of the planet. So that's a little ambiguous to me. We know Vegeta's right there. We don't know where Nappa is. He's at least in communication. Raditz, we have no clue whatsoever. But still, that other part that says another one was sent off like you, well, that doesn't jive with these other three that we know about at all. Yeah, because we see in the special that uh, Vegeta's actually attacking the planet. He's not just sent off. And, I mean, it's very vague what Raditz says, but it sounds like, since he compares the, other, the remaining sign to Goku, that it was someone who was sent off as a baby. Right, right. Which, as we learn later, it's uh, Vegeta was like five years old. Raditz is full grown. And so it doesn't really fit either of them. And so it's this, it's not a huge plot hole, but it is kind of this weird little thing that's just seems odd in the light of later of the later story events and it's actually it's not a it seems like it's a plot hole that's a lot more well known among japanese fans maybe because i know viz they just uh, kind of gloss over it entirely right and i don't know what the dub does the thing i always remember is that when torble you know when the uh jump super anime tour special came out and torble was introduced as a sign who just couldn't fight and so was essentially banished. Right. Toyble, not Toyble. Toyble, the guy who draws the AF right. manga. Oh, I remember this so this, well. He had the yeah. He had this whole uh, post where he's saying, "Hey, maybe all along the guy Raditz was thinking of was Toyble." And of course, that throws off the number of remaining signs, but it does resolve that one little plot point there. Well, there, there's this great picture where it's Raditz and he's like uh, counting people on his fingers, and then you see Nap in the background, and he's like, "Hey, don't forget about me." <laughs> yeah, it, it's a nice one. That's a that's a great picture. So I think that kind of wraps up the initial introduction to this history of the race. We've got uh, all right, they're they're fighters. They're doing some planet brokering. Um, some of them are sent off, and everyone was destroyed. Yeah. And another thing that's significant is that they mention they have this business where they take over planets, sell them to other aliens, but no mention of Frieza. Not just in that he destroyed the planet, but they don't mention him as a partner or anything. Right. And so we move on to, okay, I think I meant to have chapter 211 here. Makes sense. So this is where Kaio explains to Goku a bit about uh, how his planet works with, it has gravity ten times that of Earth, which by an astounding coincidence is precisely what planet Vegeta had. And so he throws it out there that the planet where the signs were had about this much gravity. It's not obviously not as much information as he gives in the TV show, but it is kind of weird that he, it's probably not significant, but he says he doesn't describe it as their home world or where they came from, but just where they were. Right, right. Which kind of is interesting in light of later things where they portray the signs as having actually invaded planet Vegeta and just made that their home base. 
Right. Now, whether this was coincidence or planning, it was certainly convenient that he left it as vague as he did there. Yeah. And that's another one of those tiny things that just drops out of translations because unless you're really thinking about this more than you really ought to. <laughs> right. Which, of course, we're doing for the show because it's <laughs> all our very specialty. Relevant. That's right. Well, at that point, we really jump ahead. I mean, we've got the entire fight with Vegeta and Nappa, but not much more comes of their history. We get some talk about maybe some ranks and Vegeta boasting about power. But really, it's when we get into the Frieza arc and Vegeta is taking on all of Frieza's henchmen, kind of working his way up the ladder. He's got Dodoria in this arm lock, and this is when the beans kind of spill. And I guess I'll do the same thing here. I'll play the role of Dodoria. The power of individual science is absolutely no match for Lord Frieza, but if many science joined together, they would become quite troublesome. Furthermore, among a small portion of science, outstanding warriors such as yourself were born and had begun to increase. Since you weren't a race who would obediently listen to orders if you started gaining power, at that point, Lord Frieza thought that he needed to take steps. So he personally wiped out Planet Vegeta and the Saiyans along with it. But Vegeta, you should thank Lord Frieza. Since you, the prince, looked to have genius talent, he purposefully targeted the planet when you weren't there. Great stuff in there. That was some wonderful stuttering. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and this is the first major retcon, I suppose you could call it. But I think it works pretty well. Oh, yeah, for sure. And this introduces another thing that seems to shift the more we go on from each version of the story to the next is the actual reason Frieza destroyed the planet. And here it's because he was afraid of all the science teaming up. And he's not necessarily afraid of any particular one, although there's strong ones like Vegeta there. There's more of those guys. But he's not afraid of them individually so much as he is just the whole gang coming at him at once. Right, right. And this is notably, this is the explanation that the Bardock special gives. It's more almost the same word, the same thing word for word. And I think they actually, it's Zarbon there who tells Frieza this, like, you better stop them now or they're all gang up. Yeah, yeah. And it's only later that we're introduced to the concept of a super sign and the idea that it was, this was the one thing that Frieza was scared of and why he decided he needed to take them out now. Right, right. That was always in the back of his head. Yeah, and it's interesting to see we have the episode of Bardock now, and one of the they have that little recap of uh, Bardock's confrontation with Frieza, mm -hmm. and one of the various ways that it's different from the original TV special is that Frieza is very clear about, well, I'm afraid of the Super Sign, and that's why I'm going to kill you all instead of just them all teaming up. And right. obviously, they changed that because Super Sign Bardock was the whole point of the miniseries <laughs> it's true it was almost a hilariously terrible piece of dialogue where as he's he thinks he's killing bardock wouldn't it just be terrible if coincidentally this super sign of legend happened to appear like could you possibly foreshadow any worse than that yes and wouldn't it be terrible uh, and i really sure hope this attack doesn't send you into the past and we already talked about it, but this is the confirmation of the cover story as well. It wasn't actually what they had said it was. It wasn't the meteorite, but it was Frieza himself that did it. The other thing, this is the first time we hear that Vegeta was the prince. Ah, okay. Which earlier in the Saiyan arc, all that's said, Nappa just says that Vegeta was so strong that he was named after the planet. And Vegeta says stuff about being a super elite and that he was the strongest of the Saiyans and things like that, but nothing about him being a prince until this point in the story. 
So it's another one of those things that's kind of added in the middle. Right, right. It's not exactly a retcon, but it, it kind of changes how you interpret previous things. Yeah, definitely. Say. One of the things about the science history, there's, I guess, if we're not going to take eight hours to do this, we have kind of have to section certain things <laughs> off. <laughs> right. We can, we can touch on them, but we can't really fully explore them. And one of those things is, you kind of threw this out there, like the science social hierarchy. Yeah, that's yeah. That's sort of involved, but... Uh, that's, that could be its own topic. And the other thing is the legend of the super sign. Yes. And what the legend was and who's the real legendary super sign. Is it Broly? Is it Bardock now, I guess? Is it the <laughs> right. golden Ozaru in GT? But this is sort of involved with sign history because, of course, the big part of legend is that one appears every thousand years. And that would immediately imply that there has been one a thousand years ago, at least one. You think they need, I don't know, three to have established the pattern. <laughs> right. I don't know who I don't know who's the sign with some kind of giant Mayan calendar thing. Exactly. Keeping, keeping track, track of exactly Stone Tablet somewhere. Just logging it around as they go through space. <laughs> That's it's right. Kind of a weird image. Doesn't seem like they'd be that exact, but Well, and tying in with this, all right, there has to be a legend, which means well, that means someone knows about it is it more than just the science themselves who know about it and we get confirmation that yes the great elder on planet Namek has actually heard about the race and the legend of the super scion yeah where he's talking to krillin and he's uh talking about the child of katats and how who, you know the person who became the god of earth and piccolo how he's dead and he said how could a scion have killed that the child of katats because he's a prodigy of the dragon clan and it's like could it have been a super scion and this is the first time krillin ever hears this so he's like what the hell's that <laughs> right and then we hear of course obviously frieza knows the legend and genyu and geez they know it although you could say that they just know it because they work with vegeta maybe he's been bragging all the time yeah oh yeah yeah because at this point onward we hear super scion like every other line in the frieza arc yeah and kaio he knows about it i think the great elder is probably the biggest evidence that this legend was widespread because he's basically just been living on planet Namek all this time. They don't seem to really get around anymore. Well, certainly not him. Yeah, maybe as a TV or something, but <laughs> they used to have spaceships. They don't seem to have those anymore. So if he knows it, then that probably means that it's an old legend that's really widespread. One of the things that Genyu says is that or Genyu or Jis, they say that the Super Sign was supposed to have made the universe tremble with uh, destruction. And this is a line that gets repeated a lot. And, and so that implies that this guy had a universal scale, that he wasn't just on one planet causing havoc, that he's getting around somehow. I guess we could get into the ideas that they appear every thousand years, and so that would imply that it's an old legend, but we could say that everything else of every other part of this legend gets proven wrong sooner or later. So do we really know for sure if they actually ever even did appear once every thousand years? Maybe mm. it goes back only, who knows, 200 years. Because in the uh, the manga, we don't actually have a time frame for even the disaster on planet Namek. Right. So we don't exactly know. It's only in the Daizenshu where we get uh, more concrete time scales for all these things. And so that's more or less all we can say at this point about the Super Saiyan. And then the, uh, the last thing in the manga, last detail that's get tossed out, 
is that when uh, they're fighting Frieza, when Gohan, after Gohan fights third form Frieza, he fires that blast, and Frieza, he manages to repel it, but he's freaked out. He's like, why is this kid so much stronger than he was just a little while ago? And he's like, oh, he must be a Saiyan. And so he's like, well, then whose kid is he? And like, I thought I got rid of all the Saiyans 30 years ago when I took out Planet Vegeta. And so in the manga, this is very important because this is the first reference to exactly when Frieza destroyed the planet. And it's easy to forget this because the Bardock special, it's so iconic. Everyone, yeah, yeah. Everyone's seen that. It really shapes how you view those events. And so in the special, we see baby Goku being sent off to Earth and then immediately afterwards, the planet blows up, and so that's the image everyone has in their mind. But in the manga, it's never really established. Uh, Goku, he's not like his origin story, it's not like Superman, where he goes to Earth because the planet blows up. It's just two events that aren't necessarily linked. Right, he just happened to be shot off into space like five minutes earlier. Yeah, so potentially, going strictly by the manga, up until this point, we could have said that maybe he was sent off as a baby and then the planet was destroyed years later. Which, as it happens, is actually what the original funny dub, they had a line where Raditz says, oh, five years ago when the planet blew up. Obviously, that's a plot hole from the grand perspective of the series, but actually, if they just had Raditz's speech to go off of, there's no reason that they would have known that they couldn't. it couldn't have been five years ago. Right, but we still have a problem here. If Frieza's saying about 30 years ago, going by Goku's age, which we do have somewhat of a reference point for, that's only about 24 years ago. Yeah, because he's 12 at the start of the series, and, well, at first he says he's 14, and then later he says, actually, I was 12, I just thought that 14 was the number that came after 11. Right. Yeah, this is the danger of homeschooling. (laughs) And so... He's 12 at the start, and you do the math, more or less, you get 24 years by the time of the Namek arc, and so obviously that's too short. The planet couldn't have been destroyed before he was born, right? unless something really crazy happened. And But he does say, uh, Frieza says, about 30 years, so I guess he's just rounding up. Right, I mean, it's a five or six year difference, uh, you kind of have to fudge it a little bit, but it sort of works. But plot hole or not, this is the first thing that ties the, in the manga that ties the destruction of Planet Vegeta to Goku being a kid. In fact, it's he's too young. He's impossibly young. Right. But, uh, and so this is the first in thing in the manga that does this. But actually, the Bardock special premiered around the time when they finally summon Palunga and Frieza's still in his first form. He's coming at them to attack. And so that's chapter 295. That's about when it premiered. Bardock special essentially was the first thing ever to link those together and it's a lesser instance of Toriyama kind of following the Bardock special in the manga. Oh, okay, right. And the most obvious instance, of course, is that he puts Bardock in the manga. I don't have this in the notes, but that's kind of another thing where the special the special doesn't quite fit the manga in a little ways because okay so the next thing we should probably talk about is the point in where Frieza talks about attacking planet vegeta before he transforms into his second form right so i guess this is what he's backing up a bit but he says that i didn't i attacked planet vegeta but i didn't need to transform because everyone was so weak and he taunts Vegeta's like your you know your father the king he wasn't very strong and Vegeta's oh I was stronger than him when I was a kid. Then later on we get the actual point and when he's in his final form and Frieza's remembering he says oh I he sees Goku and he's like oh I remember the the sign who resisted me until the very end. 
That's what he says in the manga. And the interesting thing is this, this doesn't actually fit the events of the TV special where Bardock is the only sign to resist at all. <laughs> he, you know, he's the only one. He flies up there. He fights off all the henchmen. He throws his piddling little attack and then Frieza just kills them all in that huge death ball. Well, I, I guess you could fudge it. We do see a little more in the TV version where King Vegeta leads this little mini assault on Frieza. Yes, and that's the interesting thing that I want to talk about next is that we had that line I mentioned where uh, Frieza, he mentions fighting the king. That doesn't actually fit with the Bardock special because there's n- the King Vegeta's not in there at all, period, which right, is kind of right. interesting. Because I'm not sure exactly when he debuts, but the thing is, in the manga, the king has no name. And we never, he's just the king. And we never even see him. And we know Toriyama drew his face for the anime staff so they'd have something to go off of. But he's like this weird borderline case. Is he an anime only character? Because. Does he count as a character in the manga if he's just the king and we never see him or anything? But anyway, so King Vegeta, they say that he fought Frieza. Frieza says he fought him, but that's not in the Bardock special. And so it seems like when they got to that point in the anime, they have this whole flashback designed to make those two claims fit together. What we see in the Bardock special and the idea that King Vegeta fought Frieza. And so that's why they have that whole thing where King Vegeta is really sick of falling Frieza. So he gets these elite troops together. He goes out of his, goes up to Frieza's ship and attacks and Frieza kills them all, and that's when he goes outside of his ship and destroys the planet with, along with Bardock. Right. I was actually just pulling up my notes. We talked a um, couple of months ago that I was working on this, calling it like Bardock Plus, this fan edit of <laughs> inserting this stuff together. I was just looking at my notes. That was episode 78 that King Vegeta leads that assault there. So Yeah. It's almost like they got to, they, they were doing Bardock Plus before you were. Yeah, exactly. They were trying to <laughs> tie these contradicting things together. Yeah, yeah. All in all, that's basically all we get in the manga. It's just, there were these Saiyans, they attacked planets, worked with Frieza, eventually got bored with them, killed them all, because either they were going to team up or become a Super Saiyan. Never really gets clear which of those is true. Right. Frieza, he never really admits that he's scared of the Super Saiyan. No, of course not. That's not in his character at all. All right, so we were just kind of hinting at the TV version. I guess we got to take it over there. But before we talk about the TV version, we have a memo to talk about. Yeah, and so the biggest thing that people think about for Saiyan history is DBZ episode 20, which has the whole flashback to their history with the Sifruians, which Kaio tells to Goku. And this actually comes from this memo that Toriyama made for the anime staff, where he draws, he does character designs for the Sifruians, he names them, he says, oh, the Scouter, that's their invention, all this background information. And there's another memo where he designed Gregory. Right. And so... He had a pretty big hand in that episode. And so did you want to read this or it's... Well, you touched upon all the points about them, a couple other things. Due to the heavy gravity there, which is something we were talking about earlier, they're about half the size of the Saiyans. You mentioned the Scouter was theirs. It does also have these cave-like or caveman-like Saiyans. Those ended up in the flashback. He says these are the Saiyans of long ago. And he also points up to their rocky housing, which again was also we saw up there. Yeah. The anime stuff, they really uh, 
uh, reference this pretty heavily. Oh, a yeah. lot of the dialogue, the wording, the images, it's all taken pretty directly from this. But there's a few differences, or at least things that are missing. Most notably, it mentions the Sufruians, but nothing about them fighting the Saiyans. Right, right. It almost seems like there must be another memo where he at me- least mentions that, because he goes out of his way of saying that the Scouter is their invention. And That's that true. Kind of imp- it implies a conflict, unless in Toriyama's head they just it was just a gift. Like, here, have a Scouter. <laughs> yeah, there's that missing connection there. Like, I've designed these people and their technology, and they're on the same planet with the Saiyans, and... Have a nice day. Yeah, this is just trouble waiting to happen. Exactly. So, and I guess that's the biggest addition here, is the fact that they share a planet. Yeah, and this is also where the name Planet Plant debuts. Well, this goes on to be described as what Planet Vegeta was called before the science took it over. So when the Sifruians were running it, it was Planet Plant. But in the memo, it doesn't actually say that. It just uses Planet Plant as the general name for the planet. And then, this is a really weird thing, because they have this memo. It's been printed in a lot of guidebooks. The first one was the uh, Soup Dragon Ball Z anime special, this kind of magazine-type thing. And it had, that was the first time. And then it was uh, uh, Son Goku Densetsu and Daizenshu 5. The thing that annoys me is that Son Goku Densetsu is the only time they printed big enough to actually read. <laughs> I know. All the other... <laughs> I don't know what the problem is where they can't get a decent shot so that you can read. What's the point if you can't read it? At least there's one version we can read. But the interesting thing is that the other versions, uh, you can see one of the things you can read. You can see that uh, Planet Plant has been crossed out in red. And then they've written uh, Planet Vegeta. I mean, I'm not a handwriting expert, so I don't know if this was someone besides Toriyama or what. Oh, sure, sure. But that implies at some point there was a question or a decision made to change it. Yeah, and the other really weird thing is that only uh, some of the images, some of the images just have Planet Vegeta and it's not crossed out. And in other images, it is. So it's like, is there two, are there two versions of this memo going around? One, a photocopy that they corrected? Or mm. did they just take these pictures before and after the correction or what? I guess now we can move on to the episode proper itself. Well, before we get to that episode, actually a couple episodes oh, prior, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's something really interesting in episode 17. This is when all of... Um, the Z Warriors are up training with um, God of Earth Kami and Mr. Popo, and they get sent back in this room. This is kind of like a mental fighting exercise. This is when they fight against these uh, these illusion scions, the short bald one and then the taller one that got names later in video games. But what's more interesting than just those two is the fact that whatever planet or area they're on seems to be filled with skeletons that appear to be science that furthermore appear to have been fighting each other yeah and i love how the skeletons how they have tails and the tails aren't decomposed at all (laughs) i don't quite get that i guess they're (laughs) driving the point home that these are dead science so they have that and uh krillin i think he says is this the science planet and they never really answer that there's no explanation of where exactly they are or right. why all these signs are dead, or why there's only, why there's just these two survivors apparently wandering around the city. And so we never get any answers, and it's one of those things where it's kind of, it's more intriguing because there's no answers. I agree. I don't really want answers to this. The whole point is that it's this strange illusion thing, so you gotta leave it a little vague. Yeah, there, there are some aspects of the sign history where it just seems like they're being lazy and not filling it in, but here I think they made the right choice. Yeah, yeah. But the closest explanation I know of is that the Daizenshu 3 episode guide describes it as a science city that they're in. 
Okay. So yeah. Now is that on planet Vegeta or is that on a city, a city on a planet that they've conquered and haven't sold off yet? So that's still up in the air. Yeah, but we do at least know that it's their city. It wasn't a city they were attacking. Right, right. They own it. They actually live there. And there, there was a statue of a sign uh, with a sword. Yes, wasn't there? yeah. So yeah, that's another sign that it's their city. And with that out of the way, now go on to episode twenty, where we've got Kaio's more elaborate explanation. Oh geez, I don't, I don't know that I want to read the whole thing because okay. it kind of goes on for a while. So why don't we just pull out the most important points from this? Yeah, the main thing is that long, long ago, it, it's great. It's. This is the um, Mukashi Mukashi. It's the generic right. beginning of a fairy tale, actually. It's the equivalent of, uh, well, literally, long, long... Well, that's more Star Wars in English. But So it's Once Upon a Time in Japanese. It's gotcha. the equivalent. Uh, the, it starts out where it's more or less exactly like the memo. There's the signs, the Sifruians. The Sifruians are short because of the gravity. All that jazz. They're really smart. And then it gets into... It finally gets into the war, which, as we noted, wasn't mentioned in the memo. And so the Scions attacked the Sifruians, and their biggest uh, trump card was the full moon, where they can become Ozaru. And on planet Vegeta, it comes around only once every eight years, which I have no idea how feasible that is in real-world astronomy, but there you have it. Scions take over the planet, then the memo kind of gets into what Raditz was talking about, where the Scions, once they've got control of the planet, they want more to fight more, so they try to go further out into space, but they can't because they're dumb, they don't they can't develop their own technology, so they kind of hit a snag in their civilization. Can't progress any further, and so they find they team up with other more advanced aliens. They get money and technology, and in exchange, they go and attack the planets that the aliens want them to. And so it's like killing two birds with one stone. And eventually, the strategy keeps going on until they're actually sending babies out to conquer planets. And of course, that leads right into how Goku's origin. And there's that great shot where Kyle's like, okay, counting, there's only four signs left. And it shows Goku right along with the... Uh, yes, in the typical armor. Great shot. Yeah, it looks, looks like uh, Tarlis. Yeah, he does. <laughs> I'm different than them. Right. And then it goes on into the really weird part where it's the god of planet Vegeta. The god of Vegeta isn't very happy with this. So he summons a meteor. Apparently he's Sifiroth. And so... <laughs> 20 minutes later. Yeah. And so the whole planet explodes and that's why there's only four left or three at this point this of course is the biggest problem this explain not only do they uh pass along the meteor story but they elaborate on it where was the god who was responsible and of course this is where they get themselves into trouble but then you have to wonder all right toriyama gave them so much information to go on we don't know did he give them an idea about this story and then just decide to change it later or did he not and then went with his gut later in changing the story no clue yeah we're probably never know no, no. But it is kind of interesting to see a, a Dragon Ball god taking a more proactive role. <laughs> Which has always been my problem with the god of Earth. Although, I mean, all right, I guess he came down during the 23rd Padokai to do something. But one of the only times he ever decided to be a little proactive. Yes, very maybe different. That's the problem. Maybe the problem is, is that their only power is summoning meteors to destroy planets. <laughs> so it's not very useful. Exactly. So unless you hate your inhabitants, you really don't have much of a job to do. And so one theory I've seen fans put forward to explain this away is just that Kaio is making this up because 
we see later, he obviously doesn't want Goku to fight Frieza. He tells him, don't fight him no right, matter what Right, he knows happens. who Frieza is. He knows what this guy can do and has done. Yeah, and so maybe he's like, okay, I'll just tell him that a god destroyed the planet, and that'll keep him satisfied. Well, tied in with that, I've seen people stretch it even further. I don't necessarily agree or disagree with it, but Frieza was acting. He's so powerful and so commanding. He's acting as if he were the god of this planet. I mean, he's in complete control by this point. Uh, I guess on that note, it's kind of funny to see that Chilled in the episode of Bardock is wearing a robe that's sort of like the god of Vegeta has. Uh-huh, indeed. Maybe think about it, won't you? <laughs> All right, so we've got episode 20 introducing a ton of new material. Some of it we know came from Toriyama. Some was obviously elaborated upon and done more with by Toei staff. And we got a plot hole that needs to get resolved at some point, but it's it's a crap ton of new information about their history. This is big because essentially every variation of the story we get from here on out is some various, it just expands on the Sifruian story. Right. In one way or another. Right, yeah, it's actually less about the science and more about the other race on the planet. And- <laughs> I mean, we don't really learn anything new about what the signs were like or where they came from or anything. Or, well, we kind of, we actually learn less about where they came from. Yeah, yeah, that's true. In, in the flashback, it's assumed, episode 20, it's assumed they're from planet Vegeta, but as we see, that gets called into doubt. Right, right. All right, so from here on out, obviously, the TV version goes on and it plays by the book quite literally, because the story is, no, it was actually Frieza. So we're kind of done with the standard TV series. And from here, we're actually going to go over to Plan to Eradicate the Science, the Famicom game, the Playdia game, the VHS, the OVA, Official Visual Guide. And now we've got Plan to Eradicate the Super Science. So we kind of have to go through this story a little bit. We get more from Kaio. We get more from the Sufruians themselves. There's some pretty interesting stuff in here. Yeah, and this is the first of two major stories that are all revolve around the Sifruians trying to get revenge on the science. Ah, yes. It's right there in the title. It starts out the special, we see Raichi and he's going on and on about revenge and all that crap, but we don't know who he is until about halfway through when they've, after that great moment where it's like, oh, they're ghost warriors. Oh, okay. And they defeat the ghost warriors. And yep. But th- they realize that they still can't defeat the uh, Destron gas emitter. And so they ask Kaio, and he explains the whole deal is that they can't destroy it unless they destroy the main body, which is on the planet of darkness, or some nonsense like that. And so the man responsible is Dr. Raichi, the Sifruian. And so Kaio gives the story of the Sifruians again, and Goku doesn't seem to remember anything about them. Right, right. You know, I'll read this one because it's not quite as long as his prior one. So here's what Kaio says uh, toward the end of uh, part one of Plan to Eradicate the Science. Long ago, Planet Vegeta was called Planet Plant. The Sufruians, who possessed advanced science, lived there. Then one day, a spaceship carrying the science drifted there, and the science sought help from the Sufruians. The Sufruians approved of science living on plant, and the two races began to live together. And so the science, being a warrior race, gradually increased in number, and a man with excellent intellect superior to the Sufruians was born. This man, who would later be known as King Vegeta, led the science in revolt against the Sufruians. Afterwards, Planet Plant had its name changed to Planet Vegeta and became the science planet. So obviously, the main thing is that now the Saiyans are not from Vegeta, they're from 
somewhere else, and they've came on a, quote, mysterious spaceship, or spaceships, as the case may be. Right, well, we'll get to that. Yeah. So for now, we actually see briefly, uh, There's I missed this the first time I watched it, and then someone pointed out, and there's a very quick shot of the spaceship the science came in, mm-hmm. and it's just this one, this one big thing, and it looks... Kind of like, kind of like Frieza's technology, like the base on Planet Frieza seventy nine. Yeah, yeah. Sort of that same kind of aesthetic, and so this is very interesting because, like I said, it's almost like we know less about the science now. Right, we right. Don't even know where they're from. A lot. It's very controversial. A lot of people really don't like this, and I'm personally uh, ambivalent about it. But I think it's kind of a neat way to shift it around a little more. Yeah, yeah. The other weird thing here is that the person earlier we had learned that this science just wiped out the Sifruians, but there wasn't much uh, emphasis on specific science being leader. But here we learn that, in fact, King Vegeta, or the man who would later become King Vegeta, which implies that he had some other name at first and then just took that on. Right. Well, he was just Vegeta and then he was King Vegeta. So he united the science and led them and it's said that he was smarter than a Sifruian, which is kind of at odds with everything else we ever see him do in the various well we didn't see much of it i mean maybe he's the mutant among the science and he's got this great intellect and he helped you know pull all the technology together he could figure out how to work it but most of the time he just kind of sat up on his throne and killed his minions every once in a while so it turns out that it was vegeta's father who was the brilliant scientist <laughs> yes yes oh something great strange and so and then of course we've got again uh this is where we first have with the idea that the signs are invaders we get the idea that the planet had a different name besides vegeta it was originally planet plant which is kind of logically implied because it'd be really weird if the, it had been named vegeta right. before they showed up how convenient Unless that they're just that. <laughs> Yeah, well, maybe that's where they got the name to begin with. It's, oh, that's a good name. Or I'll take it for myself that. now that I've destroyed the planet. The other very strange thing, the strange thing about the idea that King Vegeta was the one who wiped out the Sifruians is that that gives a really short timeline. Yeah, when the hell did this happen? Because if if this is, if we assume this is Vegeta's father, the same guy we see elsewhere, then that gives you a single generation going between them taking over the planet and it being wiped out. Now, now, Jake, we do know that the lifespan of a sign is pretty significant and they age pretty well. So I can kind of go with it. Well, actually, Toriyama says in uh, the Super Exciting Guides that they have the same lifespan generally the same lifespan ah, as humans or earthlings right but they age very rapidly when they hit a certain age okay which is a very very creepy idea if you think about it yeah absolutely <laughs> so he's still in his prime for a little bit but of course it's in the story i mean in uh, plan to eradicate the science it's never explicitly said as far as i can remember that this is the same king vegeta right, right. Vege- vegeta's father because we see obviously king vegeta and his son prince vegeta Maybe they've just been calling everyone Vegeta since the dawn of time. It's very possible. I mean, it's just a royally inherited name. At least it seems to be if his dad was Vegeta and he is. This was just a King Vegeta in the past at some point. And later uh, things like GT, they're very explicit about this was his father. But here, well, I admit that I kind of fell asleep. Oh, geez, I don't blame you. But um, there actually is there's this one line that kind of implies that it was his father where uh, when Vegeta first confronts Lychee and Lychee goes like um, 
oh, our get revenge on you for our our pay you back for the bad things King Vegeta did. Right. And it was like, oh, you're Prince Vegeta. And it's not flat out saying it, but it's uh, it seems implying that he's the son of King Vegeta because otherwise what would of course even if it were a different Vegeta they'd be ancestors so I guess the idea of paying him back still makes sense yeah but. but then we have some other great stuff from Vegeta because he says what are you babbling about you worked our ancestors like slaves you Sufrurians are the ones who are unforgivable it's interesting to see uh, Vegeta kind of get defensive right back yeah we never get this anywhere else even in GT where baby he does the same thing the whole uh, <laughs> right, song right. and dance Revenge, revenge, revenge. And Vegeta doesn't say anything about the Sufruians treating the Saiyans badly. And and Kaio doesn't mention it. Or it, There's nothing about this in his earlier explanation. He just says that the Sufruians, they approved of the Saiyans living there. And you see them shaking hands, yep. and they seem so friendly. And so it's kind of... I mean, it, it, this is probably too deep to be thinking about it, but it, I almost seems like propaganda that the science came up with. <laughs> I agree. They need some justification for getting rid of these dumb, idiot, smart people. Yeah, revisionist history. That's right. Oh, they, they were the ones treating us. Hey, like history slaves. is written by the winners. Yeah. And I guess that's, that's pretty much... Okay, did you want to talk about the spaceship Well, now, yeah, we, we have some GT. questions. I guess we'll ask the questions, but we won't answer them just yet. we got to hint at other things. So saying they came in a spaceship is a little tricky here, because in GT, we see them come in various pods, like the battle things that Vegeta and Appa come in. But here it's shown just they're in front of one large spaceship. So if you asked the question, I agree. Maybe it was one big spaceship and some pods came behind them a little later on. We don't know. Sure. But then there's also the question... All right, if they got their technology from the Sufruians, how'd they get this ship to come to this planet? It's like this infinite regress <laughs> where they just... They to get here, they had to steal technology from other guys, and to get there, they had to steal it from the third group, and... Right. I don't know. So like I said, we won't answer those questions just yet until we get to GT, but before we do GT, we got to talk about some Daisenshu stuff a little bit. We've got Daisenshu 4, then we'll go back to Daisenshu 3, and then we'll jump ahead to Daisenshu 7. So I guess let's start with number 4 here. This one's pretty short. It's the World Guide. What new tidbits do we get here? Well, not really anything, actually. That is the thing with the Daisenshu is that most of it is just compiling everything we see from the series. Right, right. That's This is a classic example where it, it's from the uh, sec, the racial guide, the section on science, and it more or less compiles the various tidbits from the manga into one place, one paragraph. And I don't know if you want to read it or... Yeah, sure, I'll read it. It kind of recaps where we are at this point anyway. And of course this is the World Guide Daisenshu. It is manga only. So it says, their home world's destruction. Four people escape. Previously the Saiyan made their living by searching out and attacking planets with good environments, then selling the captured planets off to other aliens. But their homeworld was completely annihilated by Frieza and his men, people in the same planet-selling business whom the Saiyan had formed an alliance with. On top of that, the survivors were told by Frieza a false history where their planet had simply collided with a gigantic meteorite. Two Saiyans who escaped alive from this devastation eventually learned the truth and wiped out Frieza and his men. Yes, we're talking about Goku and Vegeta at that point. After that, they moved to Earth and left descendants. So yes, Goku and Vegeta are being uh, implied to be the two there. It's kind of interesting the perspective the book takes. Daisenshu 4 is, seems like it's written a lot of it from an in-universe perspective. Yeah, yeah. As if this were their history book. Yeah, so I can, that's the only reason I can think of where they don't 
bother naming Goku and Vegeta because, like, if you're in the universe, you wouldn't necessarily, their names might not have been passed down or something. Right, right. But there's other things like that where the the section on the tournaments, they're written, they have these summaries of the tournaments where the events of the tournaments and nothing else, like, it's hard to explain, like, where they're talking about the Boo Saga tournament, they don't mention anything about Boo, it just mentions suddenly a bunch of people left. (laughs) And it doesn't explain why, because... From because from the perspective of the tournament people, they'd have no idea. I love that so much because it's true. If you were just some guy there to see this tournament, you would be having those reactions of why are they flying and why did everyone just leave? And this is all in co- and they uh, they arrange attacks by not by when they appear in the story, but by their type. Like yeah, yeah, uh, from the fingers. And so this is all in contrast to say Daisenshu Two, where it's all directly by chapter and story arc and right like, like that. this happened in this chapter which of course makes no sense if you're living in the real dragon world because you don't know that you're in a manga uh, anyway back to the explanation yeah, yeah the most the most interesting thing isn't what it mentions so much as what it doesn't mention. As we've seen, there's nothing about the Sifrurians or uh, this science coming from another planet or anything. And obviously the reason is that Daisenshu 4, it's based only on the manga. There's the, It's very evenly split among the first, the seven hardcover Daisenshu. Yeah, yeah. The one, two, and four are all based only on the manga. And then 3, 5, and 6 are based on the anime. Uh, 3 and 5, the TV show. 6, the movies and specials. And then 7 covers both. It's the only one. Yep. And in fact, it's the only guidebook even now that covers both the manga and the anime. All the other ones, they're either based on one or the other. That's true. Like we had the Kanzenban guidebooks, but then coming out alongside those, we had the TV guidebooks. Landmark Forever, then Son Goku and Densetsu, and what was the other one? Tenkaichi Densetsu? Yeah, that was the original Dragon Ball series is Tenkaichi Densetsu, and then for Z, it's Son Goku. Right. And so it's, in a sense, you might say, well, it's logical that they wouldn't mention the Sifruians because that was anime. But another argument could be that, well, Toriyama was the one who came up with them, so maybe you could... There, you could make an argument that it's Toriyama's idea, so it should be here, but that's not the position they take, I guess. Right, right. I mean, they went with, this is the position, and we're going with it. Because Toriyama, he did, he did come up with them, but he came up with them explicitly for the anime. Right. It's like um, with Gregory, same episode, he uh, gives in his Daisenshu 3 interview where he's saying that it's not like he came up on his own with the idea for there to be another guy that Goku trains with. At Kaio's planet, it's that the anime staff they contacted him and said, "Hey, could you come up with another uh, little training partner for we Goku need after bubbles?" Yeah, so it doesn't seem like it's his own initiative when he's coming up with this stuff. All right, well then let's jump back one Daisenshu to number three, which is TV animation part one. Obviously, now we're going to have a lot more with the Sufruians. So. Again, do we have any new information, or is it just detailing everything that we've learned so far? It really is just detailing everything so far from the anime, and it even gives sources for everything. It'll say, like with the contact with Frieza, then it says uh, reference Dragon Ball Z episode 20. Right, right. And then it reference plan to eradicate the science, and it even mentions that it's by Bandai, which, I don't know, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, They're yeah. very specific. As if there's some other version of this. Well, this is great, because then you don't have to go through saying citation needed. They got you covered. Yeah. 
First, Wikipedia. That's right. The only interesting things here that we haven't covered don't really relate to history. Like, it covers uh, why uh, Tulis and Goku look the same, because they're, the in sign classes, like, low-level signs tend to look the same, and which right. is kind of hint said in the movie. Yeah, it's just so a quote from like the that. movie, so they're writing what they heard. It's, yeah, no different from anything else here. Well, I guess th- this kind of gets into some of the other stuff we're going to talk about later before we jump into anything else. From the, the same area there, it says, perhaps the facial resemblance between King Vegeta and Vegeta and between Goku and Bardock is not due to just their lineage, but also related to their class with a question mark explanation point. It's more of that we're kind of saying what's said there, but we're not going to actually answer it. We're going to ask the same questions as you and just kind of leave it at that. The Daizenshu can neither confirm nor deny the <laughs> plausibility of these rumors. Exactly. And oh, it does say, it's kind of interesting, It's for class, it says that the original king was Vegeta's father. And for a source, it cites plan to eradicate the science. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Maybe they, maybe there's a line that I slept through. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Is there anything else from this that you want to pull out before we jump to number seven? Not particularly. Okay. So Daizenshu 7, which is the encyclopedia for the series, covers both the manga and the TV series. It's a mishmash. And the big thing here is the timeline, which gives us not in every case solid dates, but at least solid years. Yeah. And the timeline is very interesting because it's almost, well, it kind of almost symbolizes the whole of Daizenshu 7, their approach. Because, like we said, it's the manga and the anime only place there together. And so sometimes it will give a date that matches the manga, but not the anime. But at the same time, it will include uh, filler and movies. So it's a very weird mish- mix altogether. And it's another thing that could probably be its own topic. <laughs> but just to go through, here are all the this, this thi- things it gives, the dates that relate to science history. And the first one, and maybe the most interesting, is that it talks about the legendary Super Saiyan, who it says appeared in uh, the year 239 before age. So it's kind of like before, it's it's the equivalent of BC. Right. Main series, the, it takes place in the 700s, age 700s, 750 to 784. And so you go back to year zero, and so then you go 239 years before that. And that's when the legendary Super Saiyan appeared. And if you're wondering where they got this date from, it's that if you do the math, this is a thousand years before Goku became a Super Saiyan on Planet Namek. Right. So it's almost very literal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It says around 239, so there's some ambiguity. Right. And in there, it does say, he made the universe tremble with destruction and slaughter. That's something we've heard before. Yeah. The thing is, it doesn't say if this was the first ever Super Saiyan or just the latest, the last one before Goku. Because it'd be very tedious if they just listed, yeah. it'd be like pages and pages of just each sci- Super Saiyan. Right, and they'd because have to really no, pick a first at some point. Yeah, there's no, there's not very many events uh, more than a thousand years before the series. Right. All right, then we jump ahead. And yeah, jumping into the, uh, around the year age 550. So this is uh, about 700 years later. And so this is the date it gives for when the primitive Saiyans drift to planet plant on a mysterious spaceship. Interesting here, they're going with a spaceship, so they're taking it from Plan to Eradicate the Science. Well, that is a kind of a translational thing because oh, okay. there's no, it's complicated, but there's no true plural. Ah, uh, right. So the plural thing. It kind of could be both, but All right. it should, this actually came out, this came out before GT. Daisenshu 7, when it came out, GT was up to episode 3, I believe. Okay, so. And so right. 
it's way before the uh, Sifruian stuff. So at the time, the only version of the story that existed was the one from Plan to Eradicate the Science. Gotcha. So they'd have they'd have no reason to think it was anything other than one big ship. Gotcha. All right, that makes sense then. Even without the translational thing, it's... Uh, sure, anyway. sure. But it doesn't contradict later things. All right, so let me do this next one here. Circa age 720 to 730, this is... Everything that we've kind of talked about before mished together. On planet planet, the signs unite and start a revolt. They rush into all-out war with the Sufrurians. The signs overwhelm the Sufrurians. The Sufrurian scientist Dr. Raichi dies. The sign extermination weapon, hatred amplification device Hachiyaku, is launched into space. The Sufrurians are wiped out. The signs take complete control of planet planet and change its name to planet Vegeta. At the same time, they absorb Sufrurian technology, such as the Scouter. The science begins setting out into space. The science hit upon the idea of having other aliens sponsor their wars. And I love a uh, hatred amplification device, Hachiyaku. It's such a go-nagai name. <laughs> it really is. You wrote it in quotes there. Why did, Or not in quotes, in caps. Why did you do that? Uh, I just thought it'd be funny. Okay. <laughs> um, is there anything else to pull out of that? I mean, it's saying everything that we've talked about so far, right? Well, the significance of this is that it's about 200 years after they landed on Planet Plant. Okay, so, so the race has been there for quite some time. Yeah. So even if there's a short time frame between when they wiped out the Sifruians and when Planet Vegeta was destroyed, there's at least a fairly good time frame between when they landed and when the war began. Good time to build up that tension between them. And it shows that the war lasted about 10 years. That takes us to really the next year, 731, the team up with Frieza. Yeah, didn't take them very long. No. And this is also notable and says King Vegeta takes a queen. And this is, I'm pretty sure, the only thing we ever hear anywhere about Vegeta's mother. And I kind of think they only threw that in because then the next one is age 732, Vegeta is born. Yeah, they're assuming, this actually happens a few times in the timeline, where they're just, like it says, uh, uh, Krillin and number seventeen, uh, number 18, they get <laughs> married a year before Marin's born. It's like this theme where everyone doesn't wait very long. Yep, they get right to business. All right, so then we jump to age circa around age 735. The science animosity towards Frieza begins to strengthen. On planet Vegeta, there are repeated insurrections among the science. And I, this is one of the few entries in Daisenshu 7 that doesn't re really seem to have any clear prior source. Most of the entries, they're either events from the series or events mentioned in the series. And so I'm not sure what this refers to, but my best guess is that this is an attempt to explain uh, Dragon Ball Z episode 17. Yeah, I agree with you. Where, as we saw, there was a Saiyan city with a bunch of Saiyans all dead. Apparently, they fought each other, so kind of maybe clears that up a little bit. Although it doesn't explain, well... I guess it's implied that the insurrections are because of their animosity towards Frieza growing, or... And it could just be they like to fight, and, well, they didn't <laughs> get enough of a job elsewhere, so they just turned on each other. Labor issues. <laughs> That's right. And then we jump to a very important year, age 737, Kakaroto Son Goku is born. Planet Vegeta gains control of Planet Kanasa and Planet Meat. Of course, they're just talking about the Bardock TV special there. King Vegeta starts a revolt against Frieza, but it ends in failure. Frieza commences a war against the science. Can you really call that a war? He just fires a blast and it's done. Goku's father, Bardock, dies in battle. Planet Vegeta is annihilated by Frieza. Yes, we know. And uh, who we know is Goku escapes from Planet Vegeta and he arrives on Earth. It's more revisionist history on Frieza's part. It's yes. Like, oh, I fought, a, I fought a mighty war against the science. I didn't just <laughs> attack 
surprise attack them. And, and they don't even uh, need that sentence there because two later they say Planet Vegeta is annihilated by Frieza. That kind of covers you. Oh, well. So, again, is there anything to pull out of here? I mean, it's really just telling us what happens in the Bardock TV special. And it throws in the stuff from episode 78, so. Oh, true. Yeah, yeah, with King Vegeta going against Frieza. And this is this does establish that Goku is five years younger than Vegeta. Oh, that's true. It gives us a good day for that. Kind of have a rundown of the years in question here. Okay. So a thousand years before uh, Goku becomes a Super Saiyan fighting Frieza, then this is when a legendary Super Saiyan appears. So maybe one of several. Might have been Bardock. Who knows? <laughs> and so, but it says that it, he made the universe tremble with slaughter and destruction, which doesn't sound like episode of Bardock, but... Well, we didn't see what happens after episode yeah. of Bardock. We'll get to that. And so 789 years after that is when the signs arrive on Planet Plant, which is kind of interesting because it shows apparently that they've been going around the universe for a very long time prior to mm. arriving on the planet. Yeah, they've been existing out there doing who knows what. And so about 200 years after that is, like I said, that's when they finally fight the Sifruians. And over the course of 10 years, they take over the whole planet. And then about a year later is they team up with Frieza. And then this lasts a grand total of six years. <laughs> it really doesn't surprise me. After getting to know these characters, honestly, I could see maybe two. The fact that they <laughs> made it six is somewhat of a shock. Yeah. And that's when he blows them all up. <laughs> Frieza made it six years. I give him credit. And then uh, after the timeline, we have there's a section in the they have this uh, mini section on the races. It's kind of like the thing they had in Daisenshu 4, but more compact. And it actually has more information not from the series. So it has uh, some interesting things like the idea that the signs, the reason they're weak if you grab their tails is for mating rituals, which is very strange, huh. but that's a whole other topic. Anyway, one of the things that they just toss out there is they say that since the signs never stop fighting even amongst their own race, perhaps the race now known as the signs are species who won and survived a historic battle. Hmm. So this is their guess on the or the ultimate origin of the race. But note that they say perhaps. Right. This is, we, we're getting into more of this. We don't really know, so we'll say something and leave it up to you. Accept yeah, this if you want or not. All right. Do we move on to GT at this point? We have a whole bunch of touring the galaxy, and eventually we get Dr. Mew and Baby, and we come back. Here we are in episode 27. We've got a nice description of, oh, geez, science and revenge and all that jazz. Goes together like love and marriage. That's right. <laughs> but here, there's something added to the story, and that's about evolution. What does a sign evolve into, or from, in this case? Well, we'll get to that later, but that's, do you want to read this, or should I? Uh, you want to play roles? Why don't you be baby? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Our world, Planet Sifruru, was a world of scientific development, one of true peace and abundance. But then, along came you barbaric monkeys, the science. Do you remember? I'm playing the part of Vegeta, will be me here. And who was it that was driven off by those barbaric monkeys? We miscalculated the speed of your evolution. The science's murderous instincts grew more powerful, and you killed the Sifruians one after the other, like insects. And at the center of your wickedness was your father, King Vegeta. Having been cornered by you, signs, we took the remaining scientific ability that we had and created a parasitic life form. And then King Sufuru inserted his own genes within its cells and launched it into space. And those cells became you, right? Yes. 
Anyway. So, I guess the main thing here isn't that it adds anything new. It actually just swaps something out for another thing. <laughs> no, so, instead of Raichi and Hachiaku, we now just have Baby and King Sufru, oddly enough. Apparently, every race in the universe just has no imagination. Just going to name all our kings after our own planets. And that's the other thing. It's not Planet Plant or Vegeta anymore. Now it's Planet Sifuru. <laughs> well, does that tie in with creating Planet Plant later? Well, th- that's the thing. I, when a uh, b- baby, he wishes for the planet to come back, and he calls it Planet Sifuru. And for years, I never, I always thought that was odd. And then only when I was researching this topic, I noticed that during the flashback, they don't call it Plant, they call it Sifuru. And so I guess they're consistent internally among GT, but it's a weird thing to make for the a weird change to make for the series yeah definitely and the other thing is that in gt they renamed the two-star ball to something I, oh that's right yeah yeah and so it's it was right before it's it was in the balls they're all named in chinese originally they had it correct as far as i understand mm-hmm. don't really know chinese and then in uh for gt they changed it to something which means instead of two-star ball it really means like uh duo star ball or something that doesn't quite make sense right very strange so i don't know what they're on here but new group of writers maybe all right so we've got some new stuff here we have something about science evolving and like you said we have a king sufruian yeah and so this is another example of the wacky anime sense of the word evolve where it doesn't really seem to mean much other than getting better or it seems to just mean them changing in a way that's convenient to the plot right right was it from a different type of life form did they just get stronger it's not really clear their instincts increase so that's something right something else here though is we were hinting at it earlier the science are shown landing in space pods not in one giant ship yeah and the other thing is that these are the exact same ships we see them use in the main series. So it's another one of those, where did they get this technology from in the first place questions. Yeah, yeah. And also we've got an explicit reference to King Vegeta, the King Vegeta who wipes out the Sufruians being Vegeta's father. Right. So this, if you're going to go with this all in one giant canonical consistency, if you want to go that route, yes, that is the same person. And the one thing that does actually, amidst all this, that does seem to be consistent is that the Sufruians, they do generally look all the same. Yeah. From appearance to appearance. It's pretty much Toriyama's original designs where they're basically like Earthlings. They've got the weird kind of Star Trek clothes. I'm not sure. No, I know what you mean. It kind of reminds me of uh, Luke Skywalker, what he wears when he's on Tantooine. Mm. I don't know. Something about it. And we always see the one main guy that's in the foreground with a gun. He's got his curly white hair. Yeah. But this is something people think is a mistake in GT, but they're kind of misunderstanding. People, uh, they point to Baby and they say, well, he doesn't look anything like the Sufruians do in uh, Dragon Ball Z episode 20. And so that's, they say it's an inconsistency, but it's only Baby who looks that way. Right. And they're talking about this parasitic life form inserted into Sufruian. So, I mean, he's very different. It's kind of like Cell in relation to ordinary earthlings. Right, right. I mean, obviously, they don't look exactly the same. And, well, he's got alien life. Sol doesn't really look like anyone he has DNA from. He looks... Jake, he looks like the space pope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From Futurama? (laughs) No, a different space pope. All right, so let's... Let's talk about one other thing from Vegeta here. This quote, he says, So that's it. I'm starting to remember. Your wretched key. Sufruian. Says this to Baby. Yeah, this is when they first meet, and then... 
they fight a little longer, and then Baby infects Vegeta, and that's when he gives the full explanation of who he is. Which seems rather pointless at this point, because yeah, why yeah. bother explaining who you are when you've got control of him? But anyway, the thing here is that Vegeta knows what Cifruian Key feels like, which raises several questions, because... <laughs> As we've seen, Vegeta is supposed to have been born after they were wiped out. That's officially in the timeline, Daisenshu 7 timeline, we get that straight out. The Severians are wiped out. Two years later, Vegeta's born. Right. And even if you ignore the timeline, if Vegeta was born uh, before, if they were wiped out only after Vegeta's born, then you get an even more cramped timeline for the science to be working for Frieza. Mm-hmm. And so it almost creates more problems. And one explanation I just thought of is maybe they left the some Sufurians alive, like to keep in a zoo or something. Yeah, yeah. Or I, maybe he can still sense the remains of them. But that, of course, brings it to kind of the other point here. We know from the series that he couldn't sense or control his key to this ability level until after the fight on Earth. Yeah, he couldn't. He had to rely on scouters. And so maybe you could explain around that, like, I don't know, he had some latent ability right. that he retroactively remembered that, oh, that, that thing that I didn't know what it was back then, that was their key, and it feels like this. And that's probably giving GT too much credit, though. <laughs> it's giving Vegeta too much credit, too. All right, so that kind of wraps up the, the story. Anything new? Because from there on out, it's just kind of fighting. And sure, we get into more things about Super Saiyan and Golden Ozaru and all that shit. Jazz, but we're not really talking about the legend of the Super Saiyan. That's something we can talk about at a later point. This is really just the history of the race. So from here, we kind of go over to the Dragon Ball GT Perfect Files, which, as we've talked about, are kind of like mini Daisenshu just for GT. Yeah. And so they actually have their own timeline, and it's basically taken directly from the Daisenshu 7 one. It has most of the same entries. They're worded pretty much the same, same dates. and But they do add in a few events for GT. Like they have, yeah. You know, for their description of the science of Fruin War, they just swap in Baby for where Hachiaku was mentioned in the original, mm. and they have uh, Baby, the kind of history of Baby as he's drifting through space, and like it says, the year when um, all those uh, insurrections were on Planet Vegeta, uh, seven thirty-five, around the same time, Baby, he's that's when he kind of started his plan to take over the universe. And then five years after that, Dr. Mew is born in 740, and then 20 years later, they, he starts to build Planet M2, and stuff like that. It's not too big of an expansion on things we've seen previously, although it is kind of interesting to see that they're still using the same dates from Daisenshu 7, that they haven't, I guess you could say, that repeating it kind of backs it up, I guess you could say. Yeah, yeah. That they say, well, this is good enough for us, I guess. Or they're just lazy, but... Something else to talk about in here beyond the timeline is actually something on... Um, they ask, where is the science true homeworld? And they talk about the mysterious planet Saya. I'll just read the quote here. Um, and actually, what's more interesting than this is kind of what comes after it. Planet Vegeta, formerly Planet Plant, was originally the Sufrurian's planet and not the homeland of the science. The roots of the Saya are unknown, and all that is recorded is that the primitive science drifted the planet plant on a mysterious spaceship. That ends that quote. Perhaps the launching point of that spaceship could possibly itself be the science true homeworld. And just maybe the science homeworld still exists somewhere in space. So the yeah. Great. More. We don't really know. We're going to ask the question. But here's probably the most interesting thing of all. It's got a picture of an Ozaru. There's also a theory 
We're not saying this is true. There's also a theory that Saiyans were originally Ozaru who gained intelligence and became human. Very interesting because that kind of ties in with this whole Ozaru, golden Ozaru forming and controlling that power back down to something which we see as Super Saiyan 4. And it's also interesting to note that in DBZ Movie 3, uh, Tulis refers to Ozaru as a Saiyan's true form. Yes. So maybe that ties into that idea that that's what they evolved from. Right. There have been these couple, I don't know that they're necessarily hints, but vague enough statements that they pull it together and they even say, well, this is just a theory. We're not saying this is true. Uh, This was put out by the Texas Board of Education. Uh, is there anything else to talk about in the perfect files? Well, I should say, uh, I should note some of the ways that this quote on uh, the science homeworld has been misrepresented by the usual suspects on the internet. Okay. Like, well, the DB Wikia. This was a long time ago that I checked it out, so they could have improved this in the intervening months, but I didn't bother checking. But uh, they had an actual page for Planet Saya. Well, actually, they called it Planet Saiyan, which is rather dumb, but... And so it's sort of based... I'd assume this is based on me, the, me having posted this translation on the forums, and someone took that and kind of turned it into this page. And the thing that they do, it's the opposite of the actual quote, where the very actual quote is very vague. It's maybe there's a planet out there that's called, quote-unquote, Planet Saya, and maybe that's where they came from, and it's as vague and uncommittal as you could possibly be. And in, they take this, and they wrote this thing where it's just very matter-of-fact, like, there is this planet planet Saya, and that is where they came from. And it's uh, red. I don't know how they knew that. And they had, they had a picture there. Was it just planet what, meat? I don't... I, I think that might have been it, because... Uh, <laughs> it was, I don't know. They had a picture. God knows where they got it. And so hopefully that's changed since then, but... One of the various problems with DB Wikia. Right, so if you are wondering why none of us are talking about Planet Saya, well, this is why. Yeah, and it's they toss it out as a, the name Planet Saya is just a very... Uh, it's not meant as a name, it's just meant as a thing to call it. It's in quotation marks. Right, it's like the subtitle to, all right, now we can have a paragraph here. We have to intro before we talk about it. It's not So it's anything. not an official name, and yeah. So that's probably really all there is in the GT Perfect Files. All right, that takes us a few years later to the super exciting guides. In the character volume, we only have one little quote. It's from uh, the back question and answer session with Akira Toriyama himself. They're talking about how many planets Frieza ruled, and he kind of goes off on this tangent, and he says, The Saiyans are a fighting race who, since ancient times, have lived a violent and inhumane lifestyle, where they attack new numerous planets to build up wealth and goods. It goes off of what we see in the manga where they've just, everyone knows who the Saiyans are throughout the universe and they have this big reputation and that seems to be one of the big things that contradicts the idea that their planet business was just around for six years. But it might work if you think of the planet, the actual business as just a very brief development and it just evolved out of what they had been doing for centuries. Yeah, they're just floating around space being dicks, killing people. Yeah, they're just random pirates. And at the very end, they're like, well, maybe we should get organized. <laughs> right, they turned to organized crime at the very end. <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't go very well. Moral of the story is that if you're going to be a criminal, be disorganized. Absolutely. Wow. 
that wraps up all the guidebook stuff, all the manga, the TV series, everything up until this summer. Now we have what we talked about last time on the show, episode of Bardock. You got to go back if you haven't read it. Listen to our episode. Julian and I detailed the three chapters, what the story actually is. Jake, is Bardock this, the original Super Saiyan of legend that starts off this entire thing in 238 before age. Well, it could be even earlier, for all we know. Very true. Like we were saying, it could, there could have been a long line of Super Saiyans. I don't know where the... If Bardock was the first, I don't know where the others came from, but... Well, that, that's a good point, because as far as I can tell, I mean, I've got all three V-Jump issues, I'm looking through them. There really isn't much ancillary to the chapters themselves. I mean, one of them has you know some design, and it's got a little thing, oh, Toriyama designed chilled, isn't that great? But there's no timeline or anything. It doesn't say anywhere, this is one thousand years ago yeah but maybe the reason that the the people on planet the the people we see on planet plant the natives with their stock eyes they're not identified as the Sifruians. right so maybe they're just another race maybe the Sifruians we know from everything else they're living on the other side of the planet mm -hmm. or maybe it's like a million years ago and this is what the Sifruians looked like back then yeah yeah it's more evolution they they evolved from crab people to fruit people. That's right. It's evolution, reason. baby. We're not in Texas anymore here. They evolved mustaches. <laughs> what else is there to talk about with episode of Bardock then? I mean, the thing that annoys me about it is that I'm all for uh, stories coming along and just not caring about continuity if it helps them tell a good story. But I guess the story didn't seem good enough to justify all the confusion it seems to be causing. It rewrites the end of the Bardock special. It has these guys who may or may not be Sifruians. Again, very non-committal. They don't look anything like what has up till now been the very standard uh, depiction of the Sifruians as basically just Earthlings. And it doesn't commit to saying Bardock's a legendary Super Saiyan. I mean, it impl the little ending narration says that this would be the way that the legend got passed down through Frieza's clan, but you could argue maybe there was another guy. Uh, it's very strange. It's just very vague and non-committal, and it doesn't seem to really... Eh, I don't know. It just seems like it could have been a lot better. Well, I mean, and that's personal taste of if you enjoyed it or not. So I guess let's pull it back to a couple quotes we've heard earlier things like the super scion of legend reveled in slaughter throughout the universe like we were talking about earlier so if we're going to go on this assumption bardock is the original legendary super scion it looks so happy at the end here do you decide to just kind of take off and start slaughtering people well maybe he got bored just stuck there year after year absolutely and then he just went he snapped and he just flew around in a barrier broly style and started blowing stuff up here's another good question all right bardock is sent off off into the past we have to assume at this point there are no other scions right i mean he's the only one there or did he go off and find his caveman like ancestors and kind of cross i, I say crossbreed but if they're originally his ancestors i mean where did the rest of the race come from maybe he crossbreeded with the uh stock eye people and that and gave you the sephirians yeah or i don't know maybe Oh, and then the Sifruians crossbred with giant monkeys, and that's where science came from. <laughs> and that's the real story. And they just made up the stuff about them coming from space. Kind of crazy. Like you were saying, you're all for a good story if it's a good story. But episode of Bardock kind of revels in, all right, we're going to fit ourselves into this pre-existing story. But then... Yeah, it kind of changes and fudges the end of the Bardock special a little bit. So even though it's a sequel to it, it's kind of changing it as it goes on. It's just, 
it's adding new things, but it's changing more things than we can really fit together in the end. Yeah, and the thing that cracks me up is Bardock, he's in the past, he's like, is this, this, my god, this must be Planet Vegeta in the past. And he comes to this conclusion, and then he just sits in a cave for a week. <laughs> he does, he, he, he's he doesn't injured. Do well, uh, I mean, he can fight, he's not crippled, I, <laughs> he seems in good condition. Right. I mean, you think he'd be exploring or interrogating people or just something, it doesn't explore the themes it raises, I guess. But that's getting more into reviewing the special. Right, right. Talking about the history. Three chapters. Okay. What are they going to do with three chapters? They got to get them gold at some point. I guess that's about it. It is. What's crazy is I'm glad we put this off as long as we did because I mean, we had episode of Bardock to throw into the mix. We got more story the longer we waited. God knows what they're being next year. Oh, jeez. I don't even want to think about it. Man, this was a great topic to finally get to. I've been wanting to do some in-universe stuff. I, th- I really hope... This suffices for what you people want out of in-universe discussion. I'm looking at my raw recording. Jake, you and I have been going for almost an hour and a half. We'll see what that comes down to after editing as we're looking through our notes and stumbling around and trying to make sense of this all ourselves. But I had a hell of a good time. I hope you did, sir. Jake, Konzentai, where can they go? Ah, they can go to www.kannnzentai. Dot com. Konzentai.com. That's right. Now, none of this stuff right now is up on either of our websites. It seems like it's <laughs> take a lot of work to throw this all together, especially now with the episode of Bardock. So this is the kind of thing where I'm glad you can listen to it right now and look for it in the future on some site with pretty pictures, right? Yeah, I just have to go poke Heath into doing something. <laughs> That's right. We'll talk about it. He can use our uh, outline here as a reference and do all the grunt work. And then here to go through all that work, and then they'll come out with the new episode of Broly, and then everything will change again. That's right. Well, you know, that brings up a good point. We kind of danced around what is the legend of the Super Sign. We only talked about it as it related to history. That's something we'll have to talk about in the future, because we have so many things to say about Broly. Yeah. <laughs> said you can disgust. say them all right jake i appreciate it we'll uh talk to you again soon so there you have it everything you ever could have possibly wanted to know about the science if there's anything you think we could have clarified more or confused about or you read some other terrible misinformation about that stuff online elsewhere do not hesitate to drop us a line podcast at dizex.com. That's the email address. You can, of course, also hit us up on Twitter, twitter.com slash dizex, and facebook.com slash dizex. We make it very easy. Just type in dizex somewhere. dizex.com, twitter.com slash dizex, facebook.com slash dizex, podcast at dizex.com. Got you covered. That's going to wrap up the episode. We'll check you back here next week for episode 273. You longtime listeners know that we have a big one coming up, the 42nd and final manga review of awesomeness that's a quasi-monthly segment originally intended to be monthly where we cruise through the manga volume by volume we recap all the events and then we give you that expert analysis i like to call it you've come to expect along with our important buddy jeff who's been reading through the manga for the first time in his life now all right you're saying mike it's gonna be next week right right i can't guarantee it's gonna be next week jeff's actually getting ready to move so you know scheduling is a little wonky right now but it is getting scheduled along with some other great stuff so stay tuned for all of those amazing things we've got coming we'll also be announcing some crazy awesome convention news probably hopefully next week so if you're going to be in the virginia area in november be prepared 
That's what I'll say for right now. So that's it. We'll see you next week, folks. Again, my name is Mike Vegito EX. And for all the folks here at the podcast each and every week, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we'll talk in your ears next week. Have a good one. 